Now, it is good to be here. It's good to share the Lord's Supper with you. And, and I learned something interesting. You know, yesterday we shared our, our witness, the celebration of 50 years of Apollo 11. And uh, I, Dorothy and I watched it on the uh, TV at the hotel last night. And boy, it was just an amazing, amazing thing. But Dorothy shared with me something that she had seen on Facebook, and then I Googled it to find out to be sure it's true, and that is this, that Buzz Aldrin celebrated the Lord's Supper in the capsule before he, before he, before he got out, stepped out on the ground, but he celebrated the Lord's Supper on the moon. And it was rather interesting. They, they kept it quiet. NASA was afraid that they would have another lawsuit because when, there's, when the astronauts in Apollo 8 read the scripture from Genesis, they had a lawsuit. And so they didn't want to do that. But they, he actually did. In fact, he talked about the fact that it's one-sixth gravity. And so he had a little chalice that his pastor had given him. And when he poured the wine into it, he said it just kind of curled up the side of the chalice. And, and then he had the cracker. And so he took the bread the body of Christ, he took the cup and he celebrated the Lord. The first drink and the first food on the moon was the Lord's Supper. Isn't that something? Praise God for that. And so we have the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper. Now, some people call it communion and other people call it the Eucharist. Uh, You may or may not know that term, uh, but the Eucharist comes from a Greek uh, term that has the idea or means to give thanks So we're going to talk about giving thanks this morning. Luke's gospel, chapter 22, is where our scripture is. And uh, what we find when we look at this is that with the Lord's Supper, Jesus gave thanks. Once he uses this word uh, in, uh, in Matthew, but twice here in Luke. In Luke chapter 22, in verse 14 and following, we read, And when the hour had come, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And having taken a cup, when he had given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And having taken some bread, when he had given thanks... He broke it and gave to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so this is Luke's account of the very first Lord's Supper. And uh, as I looked at this and thought about it, twice it says here, he says he took the cup, gave thanks. He took the bread and he gave thanks. And so I began to ponder, what was he giving thanks for? Because he is at the point where he is about to go to the cross. He is fully aware of what is before him because he's going to go to the garden and he's going to pray. And, and uh, sweats of, uh, uh, drops of blood like sweat came out of him. I mean, the reality is he's fully aware of that, but he's giving thanks. And then, you know, I think that's not like us. I think as we face times of trial, we often complain. We don't, we don't really give thanks. But I'm reminded of what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And another translation says it this way. Give thanks in all circumstances, 
For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Giving thanks in every circumstance, even when you're facing hardship, even though you're facing a time of of challenge and difficulty. Jesus faced an unbelievable challenge, but the scripture says that he took the bread, he took the cup, and he gave thanks. And so I began to process that. What did Jesus have to give thanks for? And I began to, and I'll be honest with you, I really don't know. But I can speculate, and I want to share with you some speculation. I'm wondering if maybe what Jesus was giving thanks for was the fact that God was allowing him, giving him the opportunity to do an an unbelievable service. I mean, Jesus is about to do something that nobody else could do. He came to the earth for that purpose. He's serving the Father. He's fulfilling the Father's will by going to the cross. And when he did this, I'm wondering if maybe he's saying, Father, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. I'm I'm just saying in my mind, that's what I'm doing. But I'm trusting you and I'm thanking you for giving me the privilege and the opportunity. And it may be that, uh, you know, the father was saying to him, this is an impossible task. Nobody else can do this, but you can. And I'm going to help you to do this. And so Jesus then does what nobody else can do. And I know that because back over here in the Revelation and in chapter 5, in this chapter where it gives praise to God, it says that I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and break its seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book and look into it. And I began to weep because no one was worthy. And then one of the elders says, stop weeping. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he can open it. And down in verse 9, and they sing a new song saying, worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So Jesus is doing something that is a gargantuan type challenge but he's doing it and thanking God for the privilege. Now, by way of application here, there are times when God calls on you and me to do something. And what we say is, God, I can't do it. But God says to each one of us, with my strength, with me working through you, it can be done. You may be facing a time of tremendous uh, upheaval. It may be something that you feel like, I, I, I just know why I'm gonna, I'm gonna go under, I can't do this, but I'm here to tell you, If you will ask, God will give you his grace and strength in the midst of that to bring glory to him. And you can thank God in all circumstances, whatever it may be, because God has chosen you to let your light shine in that darkness. So I think that Jesus probably might have thought, Father, you know I don't want to do this, but I'm grateful that you think I can do this and you have given me the opportunity to do this for your namesake and for your glory. I think another possibility is that he perhaps was thanking God for the fact that God was going to do it through him. In other words, Jesus was not doing that on his own by himself. I think sometimes we get the idea that when we're going through hardship or we're going through a time of, of, uh, of the va- uh, valley that we, we think we're, by, uh, we're alone, we're by ourselves, but that's not true. Because Jesus has made the promise to be with us. And here in this very text, Jesus was aware that God was with him. You're familiar with that on the cross. He says, 
my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we focus on the fact that Jesus was separated from the Father, it appears, in some way. But those words are actually the title of that psalm in the Hebrew Bible. And if you read that psalm, it begins that way, but it con- uh, continues and culminates with declaring victory in spite of the circumstances. And so I have come to the conclusion that when Jesus quoted those verses, he was not talking about what he was suffering and going through, but he was reaffirming in his own mind, even though it's hard right now, I know it's going to turn out good because God is my strength and he is with me and he's going to bring me through this. And so Jesus many times told those people around him, the son can only do what he sees the father doing. It is the father who is at work here. Jesus was as dependent upon the Holy Spirit as you and I, but he will, God will always supply what we need. For he's at work in our life. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act or do according to his good purpose. And so my whole point here is that what we need as we face these challenges, we can say, God, I don't like this. I don't want this but I will do this for your glory and I will depend upon you to supply the strength and energy to get it done and then you are the one who who will be glorified through it. And so I'm just a thought. I think closer to the truth though is a third thought. And this third thought is that I am convinced that Jesus probably thanked God that it was about over. You ever been in a situation when you hope to see the light at the end of the tunnel? I'm wondering if that's where he was. For 33 years, he's been walking this earth. He has been, he emptied himself, Paul says in Philippians. And, and, and he took the form of a servant, even to a bond servant. And I'm wondering if all through his life, he knew at some point he's going to the cross. And now that time has come. And he's saying, I see the finish line. I'm almost there. God, thank you that you have been faithful to me all the way through. And now I'm glad that it's nearly over. It won't be long until I will say from that cross, it is finished. Take the less die. And it is. Everything necessary for man's redemption, everything necessary for God to accomplish the mission that he'd given Jesus to seek and to save that which is lost will have been done. And so I think that he was saying, Father, I am just so thankful that I'm nearly home. He told the disciples, I'm going back to where I came from. And he knew it wasn't going to be long before that would happen. You ever had some experiences like that when you knew the thing was almost over and you're so grateful it hadn't been easy, but you've been able to accomplish it? Or maybe some of you have been in the military. You've served in Afghanistan or Iraq or somewhere else, and you put your tour of duty in, and the time came when you knew that uh, it won't be long till I'm going to be going home, and I'm going to see my mom and daddy. I'm going to see my wife. I'm going to see my children. Oh, God, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to have served, but I'm looking forward to being home. Reckon Jesus felt that way? I think he may have. And so, give thanks. So then I asked myself this question. What do we have to give thanks for? I mean, you and I have so much to thank God for. There's no way I can begin to tally up all of it. But let me offer a couple of suggestions to you that I think as you and I take this cup in a moment and we take this bread in a moment, what we can give thanks for. The first thing that comes to my mind is we can thank God for his mercy. 
Because what's happening is that bread and that cup represents the fact that Jesus paid the price that you and I owed. The Bible makes it clear. All of us have sinned. And the Bible makes it clear that the wages of sin is death. I mean, the reality is somebody had to die. And Jesus is the one who died in your place, your place and my place. And so the whole point I'm making here is Jesus died for us. God put on him the penalty of our sin. We got mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And we all deserve the penalty of death. But Jesus died in our stead. And so when you take that bread and you hold that cup and you think about that, think about the fact that it's by his stripes, it's by his agony that you and I have the, the forgiveness of our sin. And thank him for mercy that he has not given us what we deserve. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes in verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And if you remember chapter 2 of Ephesians, it begins in verse 1 with the fact that, that you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. That was our history. That's our background. But Jesus took the price and paid it for all of us. And so mercy is something that we can certainly agree in the light of this text and what is happening here that we have received mercy. The second thing that comes out of this, though, is not only is it mercy, but it's also grace. And in fact, I stopped reading in chapter 2 up here, but it says, it is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And then a little bit later in verse 8, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. And so the whole point here is that it is grace. God's grace, you didn't do anything to deserve salvation. I haven't done anything to deserve salvation. In fact, just the opposite. Everything I've done, everything you've done deserved judgment. But we got mercy. Not only did we get mercy, but what we find is, it says here in this very passage, that he has made, he's raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms by grace. God not only has not given us what we deserve, but he's given us that which we could never deserve. He has adopted us. He's brought us into his family. He's made you and me, his children. We cry out, Abba, Father. How do we do that? Because of what Jesus did, and when we have received Christ, now we have become heirs with Christ, joint heirs with Christ, and you and I are in that position, and that's grace. God has given that grace to us. My mentor at New Orleans Seminary was Dr. Ray Frank Robbins, and uh, he used to tell people, when we talk about grace, people say, well, it's unmerited favor. That is such a, a, a low understanding of grace. What he would say is, Grace is not just unmerited favor. Grace is God giving us himself. Grace is not something God gives us. It is giving us himself. Think about this. The grace of God, when you and I come to Christ, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Who is that Holy Spirit? It's God. When, when you and I accept Christ, Jesus comes to live in us. That's God. 
And so the whole idea here is you and I need to say, God, I, don't, I, I never shall understand it, never shall uh, uh, fully appreciate it, but I want you to know I understand this much. I am saved by grace, and it's what you have done for me. There's another part to this that I have to share with you. Down here in verse 10 in Ephesians 2, he says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, we're God's workmanship. Some translations would say we're God's masterpieces. And the best way I can illustrate that is, now, we had a lot more grandparents in that first service than we got in this one. But trust me, when you get to be a granddaddy or grandmama, then one of the things you're going to do is you're going to haul out that phone and you're going to show what? Pictures. You're going to show those grandkids. You're going to be so proud. And when one hauls out the phone, then everybody else has to get theirs out. Well, look at mine. This is mine. I mean, the, the reality is that you're so proud of them. You, th- these are your masterpieces. And especially people make your day when they say, well, you know what, Gene? I believe he looks like you. You see what I'm saying? The whole idea is we're so proud. God treats you that way. I mean, he's walking around heaven with his phone if he has one, and he's saying to everybody, look here, and he's calling your name. This is my grandchild. This is my, this is my child. This is the one I'm, this is my masterpiece. I'm so proud. That's the way God looks at you. When we say grace, we don't fully appreciate the, the depth of that understanding, but it's by grace And so we thank God for his grace. But I think when we take that cup and and cracker in a moment, I think the other thing that we need to do, and and really I I don't know, it's kind of not connected with what I've been talking about, but I think we need to thank God for his goodness. God is so, so good. He's good to you. I mean, the reality is that God is so good in so many ways. The Word of God says it this way in James, every good and perfect gift comes down from above. God has given us everything that we have. I mean, think about this. Health. God has given us health and strength, and and this means a lot to me, particularly at this point in my life. I don't know if I should tell you this, but I'm going to do it anyway. But my birthday was just the other day. July the 3rd. I was born July the 3rd, 1940. Now, if you do some fast math, then you'll say, that guy is 79 years old. And you would be exactly right. And you know what? God continues to give me the strength to run, literally. Well, I used to call it running. I don't know what it'd be today. Maybe maybe it'd just be uh, some kind of a fast walk. I don't know. But my whole point is, think about the health that you have. Think about the people that, that don't have that health. Thank God for the, his goodness. And then I have to tell you this. Think about God's faithfulness even if you're not healthy. I have a dear friend, Dan Hall, outstanding, unbelievable leader and preacher. And Dan fell in Houston, Texas, hit his head against the wall, cracked his neck. He's paralyzed from the neck down. He, can, he, he operates a little wheelchair, gets him around. But I want to tell you, Dan is continuing to minister. And if you talk to him today, he would not tell you about his, 
his handicap. He wouldn't talk to you about what he can't do. He would tell you that God is faithful and God continues to allow him to lead. He's consulting. He's using a telephone. He's con- conducting two multi-million dollar campaigns for churches in other states right now. See, even, even when time, things are not exactly like you want, you still can find reason to give God praise and, and, and thank him. And so God is so good. Think about how prosperous we are. I'm not talking about, you know, the economy as a whole, although all the indicators in, in say that that's good, but I'm talking about you. Think about what we have. Have you been on a mission trip? I've been on a bunch of mission trips. And I want to tell you, every time I go, I thank God for America, and I come back to all the affluence. I'm not the richest person in the world by a whole lot. But I've got so much more than those folks had where I went. And you know, it's always a mystery to me. You would think they ain't got anything like what we've got. But you know what they've got that a lot of people here don't have that have everything else? They've got joy and they've got peace because they've got Jesus. And my dear friend, I want to tell you, we, that's something to thank God for too. I mean, God is so good to us. I mean, he is, think about your family. Dorothy and I have had reason to think about our family so much here lately. Uh, and we're, we're, we had some people come to interview us this past week. Uh, going to be a magazine article there in Rankin County. And uh, Taya Dobbs is the editor of it. And Taya wanted to know, Dorothy and I have been married for 58 years. And so she wanted to come talk to us about, you know, how we made it through all that time. And so we, we, we were talking to them and, and, and talking about our children. I mean, it is amazing how God has blessed our family and our children. And we're so grateful for all of them. By the way, we only have five children. We have 17 grandchildren. And we have 10 great-grandchildren and expecting an 11th one in October. So we have so much to thank God for. But it was so interesting in this conversation with Taya and her parents that we got talking about difficulties. They were, they said, well, has it always been, you know, everything? No. I shared with them, we did, of course they knew it already, that we have a daughter who is in prison, has been in prison for five years. Hopefully he's going to get out before long. I want to tell you, that was traumatic. So when I talk about, you know, God's goodness, I'm not talking about everything always going like, like you want it to go. It doesn't always do that way. But I am telling you, God hadn't changed. And he was just as faithful and has been as faithful in this experience as everything else. And we're just as proud of her as we are of the Supreme Court Justice that is our daughter. And also for Chip Henderson, who's a pastor at Pine Lake, who's our son. I mean, I'm just telling you, think about how God has blessed you. And then I think you will come to the place where you say, God, I'm, you are so great. You are so good. And I magnify your name. And I think that's what we need to be doing. So when we talk about giving thanks... Sometimes we think, well, what have I got to give thanks for? I mean, you know, I've got all these problems, got all these difficulties. Well, you need to understand that God is with you in the midst of it. Just like Jesus, when he was facing the cross, but he took the cup and he gave thanks. He took the bread and he gave thanks because he knew that God the Father was with him and God the Father is with you and me as well. One of my favorite verses, in fact, one of the things that I was asked this past week What's your favorite Bible verse? And I said, well, I have several. But one that I have claimed so many times is Romans 8, 28. For we know that God is at work 
in all things. God is at work in all things to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And I like the translation that says not everything works for good. It says God works everything for good. And that's, that's something that we can thank God for. 